and welcome to the GLD podcast, Governance Uncovered, Local Politics and Development, supported by the Swedish Research Council. Today's podcast is part of a special series on migration. During the series, we have talked to Mini Ider, Salma Musa, and Clara Dida. And this month, we talked to Peter Isaiason, who is a professor at the University of Gothenburg. Today, we will talk about his latest research, which looks at migrant communities in Sweden, particularly on identity issues and obstacles to engaging with the state and the Swedish society. This study has recently been published as a GLD working paper on our website. It's called Calking the Social Fabric, How National and Local Identities Promotes Pro-Social Attitudes in European Diverse and Disadvantaged Neighborhoods. You can find more information about Peter and his research in the description. As always, this podcast is hosted by GLD director Ellen Lust. We hope you enjoyed the show. Hi, Peter. Thanks for joining us. I really appreciate it. Um, and I was fascinated to read some of your work about migration and particularly some of the neighborhoods in Sweden, uh, where we have a lot of migrant communities and, and international communities. Um, to start by maybe setting the scene a little bit, I was interested to learn that since the 1980s, uh, Sweden has accepted more immigrants per capita or more, more refugees, I guess, per capita than any other Western country. Um, and making it now the sort of almost one in five is born is foreign born. Um, I think that's a remarkable sort of um, percentage of the population, um, particularly being an American where we have sort of a kind of a fear of, of refugees and a, and a fear of foreign born. Um, you'd also noted that there's a population growth of about 25% since 1980, from about 8 million to 10 million. Mm -hmm. So so quite a lot of change that's taken place and really changes sort of the nature of the Swedish population. Um, and within that, you, you also sort of note that this is actually one of the sort of, there's high segregation, right? So we have some neighborhoods, about 61, I guess, where there's very few sort of Swedish Swedes or native Swedes living there. Um, so uh, that's where you've done a lot of your work. And maybe you can just describe a little bit what those neighborhoods sort of look like and, and, and sort of how they are. Can you tell us a little <coughs> bit about them? Yes, they are identified by the police as uh, particularly troublesome because the police cannot do their everyday work. People don't, people living there do not cooperate as, as willingly with the police as, as in other places. And of course, uh, the low, the SAS factors are, are low, and a lot of uh, lot of people don't have jobs, and, and so it's it's a mixture of um, low resources and also extreme ethnic diversity. Okay. So, of course, uh, neighborhoods with with uh, with low resources and and, and uh, disadvantaged neighborhoods, they are not new to, to to any advanced society, but the mixture with ethnic, extreme ethnic diversity mm -hmm. and low resources. It, it really creates a new situation. And having that kind of neighborhoods in, in a welfare state really generates a, a, a new type of neighborhood. Right. And, and when you say extreme ethnic diversity, can you give us a sense of where people are coming from, who's living in these neighborhoods? Well, let's say that Swede Swedes are fifth in rank. Yeah. Okay. So it's... Uh, 80 to 90 percent, if we're talking about the entire population, are foreign-born or are first or second generation. Okay. And the largest groups, uh, there are many ethnicities uh, involved, but the largest groups are non-Western. In uh, the two neighborhoods that we've been studying, that we're going to talk about in a while, uh, 
people from Iraq are the largest group. Okay. Uh, people from Somalia is the second largest. And people from Bosnia and people from Syria are the third and fourth most common uh, common ethnic uh, groups. And then Swedes come in as fourth or fifth place. Okay. And when they're talking about living in these neighborhoods, <coughs> is it that you have, for example, a block that would be mostly Iraqis or a, a sort of a section of the neighborhood that's mostly Iraqis and mostly Somalis in another area? Or do they really live intermixed? There are some tendencies uh, towards that people end, end up in, in, in uh, of the same ethnicity, but it's largely, largely mixed. Okay, okay. So it's, uh, again, it's, I think that these are places that are quite unique for, for the world, really. And when you talk about um, low income, again, it's, it's sort of in try, yeah. trying to visualize what the, what the neighborhoods look like. Um, are these neighborhoods where the housing is dilapidated, or if we walked into the neighborhood, would we think everything looks fine? Yeah, the, uh, it's a, quite a common reaction. Where is the slum? It's uh, relatively high standards, or, or actually high standards for, okay. for, for, for the housing. And that is, we, we see that in, in, our, in our surveys. Like Four in five are very happy with their landlords, or... or okay perceive that the landlord would be helpful if they ask for help. So it's not, uh, it's really a, a mixture of, of low uh, resources, but also relatively high, uh, high standards. So, so it's, uh, it's... Which is sort of confusing, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, it, yeah. seems, it seems at odds with each yeah. other. And no Swedes. Yeah, yeah. There are very few Swedes in these neighborhoods. So uh, I'll listen to, to your pod with uh, uh, Claire uh, Adida. Mm -hmm. And that was very interesting and there was a lot of talk about how the host nation reacts. Uh, in this case, uh, Sweden as, as a nation has have reacted by avoiding the places. Uh, right. So it's not white, so much white flight so as, as white avoidance. Swedes stay away from these areas. And, and these areas were established to give us a sense of how they were established and when? In the early 1970s. Okay. Because the it was really the social democracy being on the offense, trying to again, build the new society, and, and everything is well planned, and, and okay. there are high standards, and no cars, and, and uh, everything was planned in detail to, to generate the new society, the, the modern society. And then, uh, as people became uh, richer, um, the well-established people, they moved out and bought their own houses. Okay which left these places, uh, the people who stayed on in these places were people who had various kinds of issues. You know? And there were drugs and, and, and stuff and, and a lot of problems in the 1980s. And then these waves of refugees mm -hmm. started to come and there were no other empty spaces in, uh, in the cities. So they ended up in these, uh, these neighbourhoods. Okay, so they were essentially kind of pushed out to those yeah. neighborhoods. In yeah. the meantime, the sort of Swedes have moved in towards the yeah. cities, is, yeah. is what's happened. The well-established yeah. uh, Swedes. So it's uh, back in the 1980s, when you read reports from, from these places, uh, many uh, former refugees, former asylum seekers, they formed their opinions about Swedes by looking at the, their neighbors, and they didn't like what they see. Uh, they sort of kept away from right. the Swedes. They're drug users and... and uh, people with, with problems. So it has an interesting uh, history. And then gradually, over the years, uh, more and more groups of, of uh, immigrants have entered these, uh, these neighborhoods and generated this mixture of extreme diversity. 
Okay. And when you say that the police sort of mark these off as places where they don't go to sort of patrol in the same way that they would elsewhere, or um, you note that emergency workers, for example, if they were called in, would wait until they have a security yeah. escort to, yeah. to go with them there. Um, that's always striking to me in a in a country where the state is actually quite strong. Yeah. Right? So, I mean, it, you know, it, it doesn't seem like the reaction I would have expected. I would have expected that, the you know, sort of the Swedish security would go in and kind of, quote-unquote, clean the place up, right? So why do we get this kind of standoff or almost a cordoning of the areas? Yeah, that's, uh, that's the, one of the big uh, big questions. How, how did this uh, really happen? It has happened. Yeah. Right. And these neighborhoods are different from, from Sweden. And it's also generally the case that uh, Swedish authorities know a lot about uh, citizens. Mm-hmm. They, for instance, they know how much tax my ancestors paid back in the 16th century or 17th century at least. Yeah. But no one really knows about who actually lives in these neighborhoods. So. Because there are a um, lot of issues with identification and, and people living on, on, on fake addresses. And, and so it's uh, the Wild West within the, uh, the so established uh, welfare state. Right. So it's it's... It's, really it's a, a really unique situation yeah. in that sense. And I know you've done a lot of work at looking at how then the refugees and how the, sort of the citizens or, or, the, or those who are living in this area, the residents of this area, actually see the state and see themselves. And so, um, and particularly the extent to which they have trust in the state. So it's, it's a nice kind of counter to the discussion with Clara Dita where we were talking more about how the host sees, yeah. the, sees refugees and sees migrants. And you actually, I think, have done some great work at looking at the perspectives of those who are in these yeah. in these neighborhoods yeah. themselves. Yeah. And what have you? What has been the most striking things to you that that you found? Well, uh, my colleagues and I we came into this expecting to find low levels of institutional trust, and that is not what we find. Uh, people in general are quite trusting uh, mm-hmm. of, of of the state, at least in in surveys. What what strikes out is that social trust is is very low and. In particular, trust in other people in the neighborhood, that is mm. much much lower than in other parts of of Sweden. The expected pattern to find is that you trust your neighbors more than the people who are more distant, and that is what we find throughout the world, really, in in, in most neighborhoods. Uh, but in these neighborhoods, uh, it's the opposite. Yeah. People yeah. trust Swedes in general, and people in Gothenburg in general, since we've done the service in, in Gothenburg, much more than they trust other people in. Uh, in their own neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was wondering, I mean, I, I didn't see it in, in your reports, but um, if if that's about the sort of the others, so if I'm Somali, is it that I'm not trusting Iraqis, no. or I'm not trusting Syrians, or is it that I even distrust Somalis as well? Do we have any idea about, about who they distrust in their neighborhood? Not not really. What what we do, we have asked about uh, emo- feelings and uh, reactions towards other groups, mm-hmm. and we do find sort of the expected pattern that, of course, people like their own in-group better than they like uh, out-groups. But there are not. We don't see any strong feelings of, of resentments against or or look. But people in general look down on on other groups. So that is not what we find. It's just that they are cautious about the neighborhood. Part of it, of course, is that people originate from or all the countries or mm-hmm. social trust is lo- much much lower in, in these countries than compared to the uh, Scandinavian countries or the nor- northern Europe as everyone knows it's an exception in, the, in this regard so that's part of it uh, so 
the, the default value is that I should not trust. Right. I should be cautious towards other people. But add to that uh, this local factor. Uh, which makes it uh, yeah and which is really striking i mean yeah. everywhere there's that people yeah. tend to trust you know their own and yeah. and, and yeah. the people who are near them much yeah. more than and partly because we think that they interact with them and they yeah. know them right? and yeah. and you know in many places that interaction is even higher yeah. in low income areas mm -hmm. right yeah. i mean paul piff has argued this as well and and others that those living in low income areas tend to have higher trust and be sort of more kind of mm -hmm. pro social but you're mm -hmm. suggesting something slightly different than that yeah. is happening here yeah. yeah and that is also true when it comes to to voluntary associations and civic society organizations. It's very much ethnically based. So ethnic groups, respective ethnic groups, have their own organizations. And there is not much bridging uh, capital okay. uh, going on, not much in terms of bridging context. Yeah. So is people are living more, more parallel life than, than conflictual lives. So. Right. Right. And, and now, but these are these are high crime and high conflict areas, or is it just that they're anti-state areas? It's it's mixed. Of course, there is a lot of drugs. Uh, people sell drugs on, on, on in public places and so. But at the same time, people living there are relatively happy about the neighborhood. Okay. Okay. It's not that people don't like it in the neighborhood. In our service, uh, forty percent uh, of the population likes it very much, and and uh, forty percent likes it relatively much. Yeah, which is quite high, yeah, actually. Yeah, it's yeah. a little bit lower than in other neighbors, but nothing particular. Again, there's no slum. There's, uh, it's yeah. just uh, very uh, different yeah. type of different type of places. The other thing that struck me was that you you don't necessarily find it seems that um, that they dislike the state, right? The trust no. in state institutions, sure. at least from my perspective, no. maybe you can say a little bit more about it. Seem to be relatively relatively high. Yeah, it's it's not, nothing striking compared to other parts of, of, uh, of Sweden. Of course, one could argue that, yes, uh, people say that they trust the police, but still they don't cooperate with the police, which is uh, a bit uh, uh, puzzling. Mm -hmm. And our interpretation is that, and this is confirmed with having discussed this with the police forces, that uh, yes, on the principal level, people are prepared to say that they trust the police, but they don't dare to, to actually reach out and talk to the police because they don't feel that the police has control over the, uh, over the neighborhood. Yes. So okay. in their, the current strategy of the police is to gradually uh, establish, re-establish control over public places. And once they do that, once they reach what they call phase two, mm -hmm. then they expect that people will start talking to them about informally telling them that uh, there are drugs over there or there are um, sort of look into that uh, particular seller. Uh, right. So, and they see that in, in, in some neighborhoods. So the police are making progress in, 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 in this work, but they're not quite there yet. I mean, in some ways it reminds me of, for example, in Chicago, you know, there's at least stories that, you know, that the police have some people whom they, even people who are, in, you know, engaged in the drug trade, right, would do, who can be kind of informants and help to keep things under a modicum yeah. of control, right? So that kind of those kinds of relationships yeah. that can be that can be but built. But even in Chicago, I guess they have a common language. Yeah. In uh, in the neighborhoods we're talking about, maybe they speak up to like seventy or eighty different languages, and no one. And again, I find that striking. We are the first to seek to establish uh, uh, to to estimate 
the proportion of people who have problems uh, talking uh, talking Swedish. So according to our estimate, based on the surveys we're doing, 20 to 25 percent of the people cannot communicate properly, or or really in, uh, cannot communicate in Swedish. And again, in this extremely well organized uh, country, no one has even asked that question. Uh, I found that, that that's striking. It, yeah, yeah, it really is. Yeah. Now, when the other way I could think about you know being reticent to engage with the police would be if we have a lot of people who, for example, are not necessarily legal in the country. Right, that the concern would not necessarily be that you don't trust the police to mm. do their job or or to be you know not corrupt, etc. But rather that you fear that say even if I'm if I'm legally yeah. here that they find out that my neighbor's not or my son's yeah. not or um, is that part of the problem? That's that's part of the problem. And again, okay. uh, this goes back to uh, authorities not having control. No one really knows how many people that actually live in in the apartments, and, and yeah. but. When, when someone like me, uh, I've, I've been talking interviews with 900 individuals, so uh, I don't see much of this. But I know that there's, there's a lot of discussion ab uh, about this. And of course, uh, some neighbors uh, don't knock on that door because uh, we don't really know who, who lives there. But in general, it's, it's so mixed. Things are working quite well. And then uh, on the other hand, we have this, uh, this story where... where when there isn't fully established order. In fact, it seemed that um, the biggest demand, right, was actually, ironically, for police to be more visible in the in the neighborhoods that you're finding in your surveys, that people want the police, they want to have visible, they want to have security, um, and yet, yet you don't necessarily see that being given. Yeah. And that's another interesting thing. When we talk about neighborhoods, uh, disadvantaged neighborhoods, there's a lot of talk about the need for reform, the need mm -hmm. to action, and yes, it's there. People want, the, in particular, they're worried about the schools, uh, the quality of schools. But an equally uh, important attitude is shape up. Yeah. This is one of the very few, the only neighborhoods in Sweden where about half of the people support themselves and go to their job every morning. And, and often hardworking people getting up early in the morning, taking the tram or, or their old car to, to the work. And then they come back and see half of the people are not working. Uh, which drives them crazy. Right. Right. So there's a lot of internal infighting uh, over this. So again, it, it, it is a complicated picture. And then we have this the issue of uh, religion. So about 60% of the population is Muslim and 30% is Christian. And uh, Swedes living in the area, they are non-religious typically. Okay. So it's, uh, again, that And do we see conflict over there? Or what does that relationship look like? It's to to some extent like some people uh, put on a, a cross on on on, on the shirt and they uh, they will be commented on by okay. by by, uh, by other. But on the other hand, things are quite smooth and and people live parallel lives. And but it's it's there under the surface and in the neighborhoods where we have done our service, there are no big mosques. There okay. are only informal mosques and. The informal mosques—they are quite a, a, a separate, separate thing. I, I for one, could not get in contact with them. They did not want okay. me. They shut me out. They are, I had great contact with all civil society organizations, uh, with two exceptions: the Middle Eastern Christian mm -hmm. uh, organization and the and the mosques. Yeah, the informal mosques. Okay. Okay. But the big mosques are are in uh, other neighborhoods. So, that part of the story is. is 
I you can't, I, you can't I, access I, it. No, no, I, I don't know anything about it. And very few people know know about it. So the story that we are writing up is about the, the outside. Um, nothing about uh, extremism in, in, in any way and nothing about honor uh, honor crimes, which are also part of the picture. But you don't see it if, if you don't... If you don't know it. No. Yeah, because yeah. that probably also looks like any other crime, yeah, right? I sure. mean, you can't really tell the, yeah. tell the difference. Are you able to get an understanding of how these places actually sort of, in a sense, kind of do govern themselves? Because, you know, the state is not there, the you know, security, the police are not necessarily there, but I assume that there are some mechanisms that yeah. when people have wronged others that they're dealt with, right? Yeah. So do you, you do you have insights into that? Not not, not really. It's, uh, it's a fabulous to, research yeah, it agenda is, it is, that it we is, should actually yeah, talk yeah, about. Yeah, really. yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, no, I think so, it's really but important. What I, what I do know is that, Swedish authorities, they always try to involve people. There should be bottom-up processes and they invite people to come and, and give your perspectives mm -hmm. and add your views. And it's always the usual suspect that end up. And th very few. But once you start talking to people, you realize the power. It's not there. No, in the no, usual suspects, for sure. No, not in the usual But yeah. there are so many powerful individuals, so many strong individuals, but they don't show up when the, uh, they are not recruited in, in the regular ways. So uh, these pl they are missing out, really, the, the, the talented people, the, the, the strongest people who yeah. could make a difference. Uh, but they are not picked up by the system. Uh, so it's uh, when you knock on yeah. someone's door and you meet someone who's really impressive and they start talking about how they would like to develop the, uh, the neighborhood. But there's no, f there's no framework, no, no room for to, to... To do that. Yeah. Wow. to capture that power, and that is really a, a, a missing. And what about among organizations themselves? You noted that you know you have, for example, a Somali civil society organization or Christians, uh, that both religiously <coughs> and also ethnically, <coughs> that they're fairly segmented. Yeah. Um, but are there people who are trying to bridge across them? Are there groups of you know leaders for women's groups or other groups that that are coming together <coughs> with the kind of the different communities being represented? If if you ask the the Christian organizations, they would say that we try to do that. Okay. So I was uh, I write in, in the book in, in Swedish that uh, the civil society organizations are not particularly strong in that regard. Uh, they are really they are really helpful for the people with the lowest resources and and they do tremendous jobs and and they're wonderful people engaged. But they don't do not live in the area and they don't reach uh, reach out to the sort of the strongest person that could make a difference in the area. But when the Christian organization read this, they got quite upset and, and they called me into, we had a meeting, a lodge meeting, when they told me that I was wrong, that I was I really failed to see, failed to see all the things that uh, they've been doing. I might underestimate and underestimate them, but <clears throat> I don't think that's, they are not that strong as they right. want to be. So it, yes, it, it is, uh, this is missing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there may be even some attempts at it, yeah, but it certainly sure. has not come yeah. to... Yeah come to fruition. Yeah. How did you choose the two neighborhoods that you worked in? Just by, by chance, more or less. And, okay. and we started in, 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 in the place called Jelbo, and it was recommended to me by uh, administrators. Why don't you do, do it in Jelbo? And I've, I've never been to Jelbo before, but it's a nice 10-minute tram ride from here, and it's, that's very practical. So we started there, and, we, and once we would be done our service there, we wanted to do follow this. Um, uh, grounded theory type of sampling. Mm -hmm. So we went to another place uh, called Bergen, which is quite similar, but it's, the tram ride is 40 minutes. So it's <laughs> so in so that case, it's not yeah, quite so yeah. similar, right? So. 
and we found remarkable similarities. Okay, okay. There, uh, even to, to at the level of percentages in, in, in when we do our service, very small differences, except for one thing which is also telling about uh, the need for different organizations when it comes to the local healthcare center. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is privately run in Bergen and publicly run in, in Yelbo. And in Bergen, they have organized it in, so that they have a queue. Uh, you sign up in the morning, and then you get you get to uh, see a doctor the same day, but you don't know when. Okay. But in most other uh, places in Sweden, you sign up for a time. Uh, quarter past eight, uh, you're going to okay. meet someone, and if you don't really need a doctor, you're not going to meet the doctor. You're going to need, need meet a nurse. Mm-hmm. And that's how it's organized in Yelbo and in most other places in, in, in Sweden. In Bergen, it's organized the other way, and people love it in Bergen. I would have thought you would much rather have an appointment in a time than you no. would like to be sitting yeah, and, and waiting, right? Yeah, so. yeah, but that's because you're American. Uh, okay. yeah. <laughs> so what's if, their perspective on this? Uh, they prefer being to know that sometime during the day they're going to meet a doctor. Uh, and it doesn't okay. have to be uh, like planned three weeks in advance on Thursday mm-hmm. uh, at 9.30. It's much better to go there in the morning. Okay, I need the doctor now, and then, and then wait and yeah. to see your turn yeah. come. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but it's it's also the case that people who live more organized life in Bergen they don't go to their local healthcare center. They go to other places. Yeah. Okay. okay, because they prefer it to have it to set time. So this is one uh, one of the few differences. But it's also telling about that people actually look for different. Uh, organizations. Yeah, and their their view of sort of what is quality or yeah. what is sort of order might mm-hmm. be different than yeah. what we yeah. what we expect it to be. Right, that's yeah. that's a part of it. Yeah. Um, what were the biggest challenges that you've faced in doing this work? In a way, it's, we knew so very little when we started out. Uh, I had no idea on, on how to do uh, a survey, what uh, that we've done. So we talked to the uh, the survey firms mm-hmm. and asked them how do how do you do it. And they recommended against visiting people, knocking on people's door. So we don't. They said that we don't do that for security reasons. We cannot guarantee our mm-hmm. our interviewers. So we did the same. We, we started out uh, uh, contacting people at the, the, the yeah, public that, yeah, position. Yeah. Okay. And then gradually we real, realized that some people, not all all people, come to the public places. Okay. So there are areas, uh, more higher status areas within the neighborhood that. They don't visit that place, so we started walking around, and then gradually, come on, if we can knock on these doors, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. that is ridiculous. Yeah. Right, and and yeah. how would, how did you find the reception? You said that sometimes they say don't knock on that door, but but in terms of you Wonderful. know kind nice of response n- rates, yeah. are people are people willing to talk to you? Do they welcome Absolutely. it? Do they dislike the it? The peop- the people who open the door, they are uh, in general uh, quite welcome. We have a response rate of people who actually open the door in uh, about seventy uh, percent. Yeah. Which not is, bad. No. And people are very welcoming. And then, hey, nice to talk to you, Swede. You're the first Swede that ever mis- visited my, my home. Welcome. Come in. Uh, good, uh, good to talk to you. And we had wonderful conversations, uh, really. So it, it was uh, that part of the job was uh, very, very rewarding. Yeah. Actually, it's very striking because, you know, when you talk about 
you know, that reaction or about thinking about, okay, you know, you don't really sort of know this area at all. You know, I think about me working in Malawi, for yeah. instance, right? I mean, that's that's sort yeah. of how, how that seems to compare. And yet, you know, here we're talking about working in neighborhoods, which is in the country that, you know, you're born and raised yeah. in. It's, yeah. you know, it shouldn't be so different, no, right? No, it shouldn't. Um, and then it's yet another sort yeah. of example of yeah. how these are really our communities yeah. that are even in the midst of a very strong welfare state yeah. are very, very... Yeah. Yeah. Very different. So I talked to this man who was who is 90 now, and uh, he had lived in Bergen for 30 years since they built the place. Okay. When the Bergen was something to be proud of, that right. was sort of the, on the edge. And of, he was sort of native Swede or yeah, Swedish Swede, absolutely yeah. na- uh, Swedish Swede. And he said, "I tell people I don't live in Sweden. I live in Bergen, which is uh, interesting. interesting." And then two days later, I talked to a, a Syrian former Syrian refugee. He was uh, he was the spokesperson for the, for his family. We sit, sat down in his sofa, and he had picked up Swedish, like that. In, in he was extremely talented, and he said, "This is not Sweden." So it was not what he expected. The right. Bergen was not what he signed up for. He expected something something different. So I think that these two reactions are sort of tells are telling. Yeah, that how different uh, these places are. Yeah. And so much of, of the, the Swedish discourse is about poverty, uh, about uh, low resources. But it's much more than that. But it's so hard to, to discuss ethnicity and, and, and differences between. So the Swedish public discourse is not even close to, to capturing what goes on in, 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 in these neighborhoods. No, it's actually, I mean, because in some ways what you're pointing to is, you know, they're relatively happy with their lives. Yeah. They're, you know, this is not about housing. It's not about yeah. going hungry. It's not mm-hmm. about those issues. It's much more about identity issues mm-hmm. and your engagement with the state and with other other segments of Swedish society, right? That's yeah. a, yeah. And that's a very different mm-hmm. set of, it's a very different set of obstacles, I think, than we tend to think about if you're talking about the kinds of areas where police wouldn't be going or, or those things are yeah. happening. Yeah, that's fantastic. Thank you so much. Yeah. This is really wonderful work. Is there any other things that we should know that uh, <coughs> have not been touched on? Well, there are so many things. But, uh, <laughs> but we can uh, read the, your the, book, yeah. is essentially. <laughs> this is good for now. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you so much. Take Thank care. you.